Welcome to episode 37 of Honor on the Track with me, David Wilson. Please note this is a two-part episode, so if you're listening to this and haven't heard the first part in episode number 36, then I suggest you listen to part one of my interview with Nick Dunkley of Hindenburg Systems first, so this puts the episode in context. Of course, if you want to live dangerously, then go ahead and listen to part two first. Hope you enjoy it. How do you then move from the Danish Broadcasting Authority to Zambia in Northern Rhodesia, you know, in South Africa? Arrogance. I'm not kidding, actually. It, it, uh, okay, when I say arrogance, you just have to think of it in lines of, I'm really striving for high quality. If we can do better, let's do better for myself and for, for the people around me. So we got to a point in the late 90s where suddenly everything went digital. And that was a good thing in many sense. I was working digital and, and the early doors and what have you. But suddenly everything went digital. That meant that the journalists were now producing on, on computers as well. And we all were forced to use the same system. And it was horrid. It was an absolute rubbish system. And we were not able to do the quality work I was used to doing. Because, again, I, I was striving for the best of the best of the best in, in within national broadcasting and suddenly I wasn't able to do that anymore and I was complaining about that and uh, working at national broadcasting was really a huge part of my identity and then a colleague of mine said very wisely well if you don't like it here why don't you leave and I was like that's a good question really isn't it because I really felt that I, I was entwined with the, the the foundation of the place. I never thought of myself ever would leaving that place. And I could see he was right. I had to leave. So I did. And uh, my late wife, I met her at the radio station as well. She was a journalist. Um, she kept working there. She got pregnant. We had a son. And she was working as a news journalist. And I kept, again, just being, being arrogant, I kept having these long debates with her saying, news journalist is, is rubbish. Uh, you know why it's rubbish. I know why it's rubbish. Why do you do it? Oh, but I, I enjoy the kill, she said. I really am fascinated with the kill. Yeah, yeah, but you're not actually improving the world in any way. You're not, you're not using your storytelling skills in any way to, to benefit the world. Oh, she knew that, but she was torn between the kill and what she actually was passionate about. And so one day she came, uh, she came home and she said, uh, do you want to go to Africa? And we had, you know, my, my son was like one at the time. Um, I was working night shifts just to make ends meet and so I could be with him in the daytime. And I said, sure. Sounds like a great idea. Um, so she got a job with an NGO in in Zambia. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll just hang along, tag along as a spouse. And I'm quite sure that a person with my radio background could probably find something to do. And sure enough, you know, within a fortnight, I was, again, you know, chatting to someone who knew someone. I was then talking to the director of a different NGO. And we had this really interesting conversation about 
why these NGOs were leaving what they called white elephants all over the country. And what he was referring to is if you're an NGO, you typically want to uh, communicate a specific program within like HIV AIDS or uh, agriculture or something like that. And you want that to be communicated out to a specific area uh, in the country. And the easiest way to do that is through local radio. And if they don't have a local radio station there, uh, very often an NGO will go out and build one. So that was what we were talking about. But then he said, well, these white elephants, these are just abandoned radio stations. They're all over the place. You have these small abandoned radio stations. And what happens is that when an NGO comes into a small town, then they will set up this uh, the, the equipment and they will say, well, we'll fund you for, for the period of this program. It might be a two-year period. And then we expect the radio station to be sustainable. And then they pull out the money. Oh, and as soon as they pull out the money, it dies. Of course. There's no interest for, for the radio station. And we were having this really interesting talk uh, about why that happened. Why, why don't the locals actually just keep running the radio station? Because it's all there. They've got the equipment. Amazing. The only thing they need to do is just keep it running. So I drove around the country, had a look at these, some of these radio, radio stations. That was really good fun. Yeah, I can imagine. I, I had a fantastic time. Like, I love it. I, I would really like to go back someday. So, so, so were you going from like Lusaka down to say, you know, the Victoria Falls, Livingston up to maybe yeah. Abercorn and back to St. Jamestown, is it Jamestown or whatever it was? I can't even remember the names of it. But the one that gets all the way out east. Nyasaland way, yeah, yeah. And you, you learn so many things on, on the way, again, just talking to people. And the, the, the point of the, the mission was not just to chat every time I met someone, was actually to trying to figure out what was what was going on with these radio stations, and uh, I came back to him and said, "Well, the thing is, you're building the wrong radio station." It was a kind of a board meeting. I I presented this, and he said, "What do you mean? It's a radio station." Yeah, but it's the wrong ones. It's what we do is, and they they were explaining to me because I knew this already. But we 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 put a container down. It's got all the equipment. It's got CDs. State-of-the-art microphones. You've got a transmitter, one kilowatt transmitter. What else do you need? So, yeah, but that's that's music radio. That's not what they want. They want to do community radio. Definitely. What the hell is the difference? (laughs) So I had to explain to them that, and again, it's a bit in the same sense that People say, what the, what's the difference between your door and any other door? You know, audio is audio, right? If it's music, if it's radio, it's audio. You know, well, come on. <laughs> it's audio. Why are you making such a fuss? And it's, but there is a huge difference, and you, you know that. We've already covered that. Yeah. And it's the same thing with radio. There's a huge difference between doing music radio production and doing talk radio production. And especially if you want to have stories that were covering uh, agriculture and what have you. And what I gathered on this trip was that typically in, in some smaller towns, at least in Zambia, I don't know if it's the same everywhere else, the elders of the town will, will gather under a, a open gazebo kind of thing. They call it an insaka. Actually, we called mm-hmm. the company at the beginning, we called it insaka because of that. 
But then again, people thought we were from Japan. It didn't work out. Never mind. Okay, fair enough. Uh, but what the, what happened? So you have the the town's elders that will they will meet under this gazebo, and around them you'll have the town listening in on the conversation. This is just the way that they debated things, and and I said, well, we kind of need to replicate that on air. Definitely. So I made sketches for how we should build a radio station with two simultaneous running studios and we have to have a studio manager and we have to have some staff. It's got to be uh, really expensive. And also what I said is we need to build a, a, a place where people will want to go because we want stories from people. When they come up the road, when they come from from in the bush and into town, we want them to tell their stories. But no one in their right mind is going to go up to a radio station and say, i got a really good story. They're never going to do that. Correct. No one's ever done that. Yeah. So, so we, we have to build something that is for them, either be that a... Uh, a library or the internet hub or you know so we actually designed it so the only place in town where you could actually go on the internet was at the local radio station if you could just come in from the street yeah perfect captured market wasn't it it was a captured market then then the idea was that the studio manager can just come out and say has anyone got a good story then we can just pop into the studio you should always have a a vacant studio where you could do some some uh, pre-recording and uh, yeah, that's what we did. Amazing. And and did you see that hap to transform? Because I know that um, the, the 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 great story you're telling is tinged with a bit of tragedy, which we'll get to in a second, if you yeah. don't mind. But but you know, you were doing this over the first year that you were there. But um, did 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 it kind of work? Did you start to see the the cogs start to turn and things start to happen? Well, the tragedy part of the story kind of kicked in as we were building it, so I didn't get to see it completed. But I did get pictures. You did, yeah. So it's there. It's even got my name on it on the oh building. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. Well, I just wanted to let the listeners get a perspective on where you're coming from because, I mean, your dear lady did, you know, didn't survive the journey, did she, unfortunately? Could you tell us a bit about that? No, unfortunately, she didn't. Um, what happened was she, uh, unfortunately, she died in a car accident, um, which in any circumstance, obviously, is terrible. Uh, and if it was here in, in Denmark or in Canada, it would also be surprising. It's not that surprising when you're in sub-Sahara. Unfortunately, the, these things happen all the time. I've seen horrendous things uh, on the road uh, down there. And the roads are terrible and the safety is really, really bad. And uh, unfortunately, their car uh, hit a pothole, um, a really deep one, uh, flipped the car around, and they ended in the ditch. And that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. They were in a they were in a big pickup, and everyone else in the car was fine. But she had taken her seatbelt off uh, because it was really hot, and she banged her head against the was the yay pillar. And that even that wouldn't necessarily have been. A, a big problem if it had happened in Toronto, in Copenhagen, but they were in the midst of nowhere. They were like 900 kilometers away from Lusaka. And um, they were fortunate enough to be picked up by another car that fortunately came by that could drive them into the nearest town. But the nearest town here was uh, a, a tiny little thing. And they did have a doctor, but 
Yeah, I'm pretty sure he didn't have much more than Band-Aid. Yeah. So there was nothing he could do. They could just lie her down. And we tried to get a helicopter up there to pick her up and uh, fly her to safety. But again, it was Africa, so the helicopter was broken down and couldn't fly until the next day. So, yeah, it ended badly, let's put it that way. Well, I kind of spoiled that already, didn't we? No, but I, but here's the interesting thing. So when we were talking last week, and, and I mean, we weren't really going anywhere with the conversation. We were just having a great chat. You said something really surprising, and I, and I want the listeners to hear this. You know, a, a dark cloud, there's a silver lining, which sounds bizarre when somebody so close to you dies, and somebody who is your soul, you know, soulmate, your best friend, your your mother to your kids, you know. But you said something very intriguing. You said actually, that's where she wanted to be. That that was a, ni- a nice ending, which sounds. I'm paraphrasing. I might not be this right, but <laughs> you are paraphrasing. I'm not saying yeah. she wanted to be dead. No, of course. Um, no, no. But the the thing was, no. What we were talking about last time is that, um, the perception of life and death is completely different when you're in a place like uh, Sub-Sahara because death is all around you. Um, And I'm not saying this in a grim, bad way, that death is all around you. But here in the West, we try to keep death as far away, away from us as possible. And we don't really experience it. We might have had grandparents that died at some point but that's that's just about it when you're there it's like everyone that you meet has a story about someone who died recently in some horrific way fell down a well or whatever and or was hit by a car or you know there's so many different ways that it could happen um so even in, within the relatively short time that we were there, we had had uh, our perception of what safety was shaken up a bit. So um, we were just very, gotten to a point where we were quite loose about it because compared to what was around us, we were extremely safe. Even though if, if we were from Western standards, we were just being ridiculously foolish and reckless. In the environment, we we were being very, very safe. And that also, it somehow, it, it changed us fundamentally in, in, in a way that life and death kind of became intertwined. So life suddenly was richer, but only because death was so close. Okay. If that makes right. any sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense, but it, it puts you in the moment though, doesn't it? That's you're living in the moment. It really does. You really are intensely in the moment. And everything there is intense. Like the weather is intense. The the animals and the bugs are intense. And, and people are just so nice, but also very intense. Everything is like on is buzzing all the time. Uh, but in a really, really good way, and she loved that. She she tr- thrived in that environment, and she, and I'd known her for a long time, and I've never seen her so alive as she was while we were there. And and let's put a name to your wife because we don't know her name. <laughs> I've asked her. Oh, sorry about that. Her name was Bettina. Bettina, and so she was 
she was plugged in. She was she was alive in the moment, and she was living it and breathing it and loving it. She absolutely loved it, and she uh, she was sitting at an office most of the time in town, and she w- really envied that I had a job where I had to go out in the bush. Uh, so when she got this opportunity to actually go on a field trip, she she was like, "Can I go on a field trip? You know, can you take care of the kid? Yeah, yeah, sure. Off you go." So. And she called back every evening. And now we've got to this uh, stop on the road and we're going to sleep here tonight. And she was just having the time of her life. So when I got the news that there had been an accident, one, it didn't surprise me that that had an accident because, you know, I've been on the verge of having so many accidents on these roads. It's just... Right, it's just one of those things that happened. I was not, I did not see coming that she would actually die from that. But, you know, just having an accident in itself wasn't necessarily a bad thing, just rolling over in the car. But that was the thing uh, afterwards. I, I knew how alive she was when it happened. And she would never have been so alive. I'm not sure if I can make it make sense. She would never have been that alive if it had not been for the circumstance that death was so close. Incredible, isn't it? That juxtaposition, isn't it? That's the it thing, is. the yin and the yang, is. isn't it? It's the force, isn't it? Okay, so, and I know this might be a bit difficult, but I just want to just get an essence of how the hell did you cope with that? Because you just got that news. You're now in Africa. You've got nobody there. No, there's no family. No. What do you do? I mean, what can you do? Oh, God, I don't know. Uh, you have to get up in the morning, don't you? Because I had a son that needed to be taken care of. But it wasn't easy. Um, I had to figure out if I wanted to stay in Africa or if I wanted to go home. And as you pointed out, I didn't have any family there. So that meant that he wouldn't have any family, immediate family around him. And that wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing because we had like, we had friends, we had colleagues there. We had a great school for him, even though he was only two. It was the English school there. They had they took him in from a very early age. It, it, it was, they were really, really good. You know, living there was, as, as a white man at least, was, <laughs> it was really, really easy living. Let's, let's be honest, it really was. And I love the challenges that uh, with, with the job. I love being there. I love the locals. Um, so I would have stayed there in a heartbeat if it hadn't been for him. And I thought, well, if something happens to me, um, then he's all on his own and he doesn't know his immediate family. And I, I can't, I can't do that for him. So we went back home. We went back to Denmark. And you'd been there before. You knew that what that was about, you know, over though you were a little bit older. You knew what it was to be on your own. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did. I didn't want to... I didn't want him to feel abandoned. Yeah. In any way. And I thought it was bad enough that his mum died, to be honest, because I wanted to, as all parents, you, you don't want that for your for your child. No, you don't. But I couldn't, I couldn't protect him from that, unfortunately. Okay. Now, thank you for being so candid and honest about that, because I know it's difficult for to recount some of those things, but it's equally great to share those stories so that people could understand that you know, nothing's completely lost there's something that comes out of something isn't it so obviously you had to come back regroup you had to take a dip a big deep breath figure out what you were going to do with your life how did you get back on another track 
Well, as mentioned at the beginning, I already had this idea for some software that the world needed. And we had not started at that point before my wife died. But when I came uh, back to Denmark, I had a little bit of insurance money. That would have been enough to buy us a small apartment at the time. Really small apartment. So I thought about doing that. Um, so it would just be me and him in a small apartment. But we also had the boat, the one I'm sitting on right now, which I bought when I was in my late 20s. And I thought, okay, I could save the money. Well, not save the money. I could burn the money, <laughs> burn through the money by actually living off it. So we could probably live off it for maybe two years if we were lucky. And I, then I went back to Peyton and said, you know what? Um, I think this is the time to actually do this properly. So I, I'll, I'll, I'll put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. And uh, I'll get us through this the next couple of years and we just need to get this uh, this thing up and running because it's all I had to be honest. I was seriously just putting all my money on on black no but you know what and and and, I, and I'm sure she would look down and think so proud of you Nick you know Patina would have said at least something came out of that you know or or joy or experiences of life in Africa well hopefully yeah but you create you created something. I mean, that was the wonderful thing. You created something. You had an opportunity, and it sounds bizarre. You know, that dark cloud, the silver lining was you had a breathing space. You could maybe do something you were very passionate about. And Patina, God bless her, you know, she's up there looking down and thinking, okay, you did it. Good on him. Big slap on the back. I think actually she would be quite happy with it. Yeah. It was really in her spirit. There you are. Oh, she would have been so bloody envious. She would have been fighting me over that one. <laughs> now, why do you get to do that? <laughs> but in Danish but in Danish yeah no, she was a very 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 funny very passionate and very uh, politically uh, um, well aggressive is the word I was looking for really politically aggressive well focused maybe focused let's, let's very focused yeah no Absolutely. she was great she was you're halfway through listening to On Another Track with me David Wilson my guest this week is Nick Dunkley of Hindenburg Systems. Next, I wanted to ask Nick a little bit more about how he got Chris on board and how they ramped up the sales. But more importantly, what were the great features of the software that made it stand out from other doors on the market? Okay, so you're back in Denmark. We talked about the business, how you got things up and running. Now, let's uh, let's zip back to the business, if that's okay. And we talk about Chris potentially coming on board. So we are now back. You've got Hindenburg. You've got your beta copy out there. People are starting to use it. The school's using it. Maybe the Danish Broadcasting's using it. What's the next stage with this? You've got Chris on board. How did you really ramp it up? What was the, what was the key things that you could remember? Oh, God, that's a good question. It's We didn't actually really ramp up maybe to say at any point it was just a gradual thing we, we've never had any investors wow um so, so and we we wanted to deliberately at the time at least we wanted to keep it fairly small uh, because that would able us to do whatever we wanted to do because we were really worried if we got an investor in very early then we would be forced in a certain direction with it definitely and trust me there's a lot of the features that you're Hopefully, some of our users out there who are listening are benefiting from now that would never have been 
gone through a board meeting. <laughs> totally, totally, I get it. <laughs> I mean, what what are some of those features? Like, because highlight to the people who you know may they've never used Hindenburg before. Maybe they're using, uh, for instance, Audacity. Oh God, yeah, we haven't even talked about what the software actually does, have we? Well, and again, we want people to experience that. I mean, I'd rather sort of direct people and say, okay, here's the software, here's the key things it does, here's some of the nice things it does, but go and experience it because you can get a thirty day trial. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, okay. Fair enough. Tell me some of the features that you, you know, you, you've really put in there that are your pet ones that you think. Well, well, some of the things that were way ahead of the time, you know, you have to think that this goes back a bit. Nowadays, we have lots of uh, newer software out here with AI and uh, they can do cleanup tools and what have you. But back in the day, I say that it's only like 10 years ago, there wasn't. So our users is a radio journalist. And they are great people. I love radio journalists, but when it comes to audio, they have absolutely no idea what they're doing. So it could be simple things like if you're an engineer and you were talking to a freelancer, then you'll you'll have some certain rules of thumb that you will try to convey to them. So one thing we like you'll say, when you're doing your narration, your narration should peak at minus nine on the QPPM meter, right? This is you know, gibbery talk to, to to most people. Say, totally. Why are you on about? And even if you point to the meter and say, there, right there, there's still a, I, I can try, but I, I don't get it. And then, so, so how about music then? Oh, well, the rule of thumb, if it's pop music, it's like minus 15 on the QPP meter. But that depends on the music. Is There's so many, you, you can't actually tell people how to do it properly they have to have experience with it so what we did was we were uh, actually at a very early stage i I think everyone knows about loudness nowadays right Mm -hmm. and loudness is actually relatively new and we were following the ebu that were developing the loudness meter well the the rules for the loudness meter not the meter itself and there was something called the p loud group and this is really a story that tells about how me and Peyton worked together. So he had been following this Pilau group and is really, really nerdy. And what they were actually what they were setting out to do was try to solve a problem that television had where we're watching a movie and the commercials come on and the commercials are way too loud and then the movie comes on and yeah, you're sitting there dining up and down your television all the time. That was the huge problem that we're trying to solve. So it was a question of how do we measure sound that is the way that we perceive sound and not the way it's electrically displayed. And it's actually more tricky than you should think. And even what the solution that they came up with was very beautiful. The loudness algorithms are very beautiful. But if you've ever tried to tell people how to use a QPPM meter, which is just hit minus nine, you're good. Then if you've seen a loudness meter, there's like, I think there's about eight different readouts on a loudness meter. Yes, there is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> trying to explain how that works. And it doesn't work real time, it works over time. So you can't actually measure anything instantaneously. It doesn't make any sense because you were measuring the dynamic range. It was so complicated. So he was running around mm-hmm. and saying, oh, this is absolutely fantastic. This is going to change everything. And I was like, we're never going to be able to explain that to our users. We're having a hard enough time explaining this thing here. So I said, can't we just build it in? Can't we just automate it? Yeah. 
And he stopped running around for a second and he said, huh, yeah, I think we can. And then he sat down and started coding. And that was really why we we, we introduced the automated levels because he, he can see a technical solution that I can't see, but I can just play along with it and say, well, I can see how this could benefit our users because... Yeah, it's just the way it works. And we did the same thing with the... Uh, this is sometimes why we're a bit slow uh, <laughs> when it comes to... People have been asking us, oh, okay, so could you do a compressor? This isn't back in the day. Could you do a compressor? Uh, well, yeah. The thing is that if you give a compressor to someone who's never seen a compressor before, it, again, it's just going to be a lot of dials. They don't make any sense, and you're probably just going to make things worse. So I said, okay, well, I want to make a, a compressor. Well, I want to design it so it's just got one dial and you can have more or less compression. I think we must have been one of the first one dial things at all out there. But it came from understanding our users. They wouldn't know what to do with all these buttons anyway. So we have to figure out how to make one button sound good. And it seems like a simple thing, just more or less compression, but it's really, really difficult. So we took a lot of engineering skills especially from payment, to figure out how we actually got that to sound good. And uh, later on, we did the noise reduction. We did the same thing. Again, the first one-dial noise reduction, as far as I know. You're welcome to complain if you've seen another one. But it doesn't really matter if you had one dial or not. The, the whole point was that back in the day, there were all kinds of different noise reduction uh, plugins. You had the dinner plugin, you had other plugins. And they, they were great if you know knew what you were doing. But if you just dialed them slightly wrong, then you will end up with something that sounded like, well, the Dalek or something like that. Or down the telephone line, yeah. You know, yeah, it was yeah. just horrible. You just have this digital distortion all over it. Um, so I so, said, well, we want to make it so it sounds really, really good. And it can only have one dial. It's more or less noise reduction. That's it. It was so difficult to do. So, so difficult to do. And it works. And people just loved it. And it was just, oh, this is easy. And the the best feedback, I think, that we get, well, the, the feedback I appreciate most is that people say, you know, making audio storytelling, if it's radio or podcast, it's fun. It's pretty easy and it's fun. Definitely. And I'm just thinking, you have no idea how not easy it is what you're doing, but I really enjoy the fact that you think it's easy. <laughs> but but it's it's relative to what you know, isn't it? I mean, because yeah. I think as we were talking previously, you don't need anything very complicated to do talks radio or to talks podcast. You know, all you need is a really an iPhone. You know, literally the microphone and iPhone. You know, even on the headset on the iPhone is good enough to get decent quality audio. You know, at least you can have a conversation with somebody and interview somebody. So it isn't complicated, essentially. Not anymore, no. It's it's much more accessible. And that, that's another thing. Actually, going back to, we often get asked, what is it that we're doing? And we're not really, well, I'm not, at least. I, I, as you can hear from the background, my mission was never to start a software company wasn't even to get into the podcast market or be a, a mass uh, consumer product or anything like that and it, it wasn't even to be honest it wasn't even to do a door it, it doesn't really interest me I, I love the fact that we've done it i love the door that we've actually done but equipment has never interested me 
Got you. It's what you can do with it that interests me. And at the end of the day, what I was trying to set out to do was give people a voice that didn't have it before we were there. Brilliant. I mean, that's just brilliant, isn't it? There's such a, a soulful thing about that. It goes right back to the roots, doesn't it? Yeah. And we still do that. Here's what I love about it, though, about Hindenburg and about the way that you allow people to get on that, you know, well, it's not a bandwagon, but you know what I mean, to actually get started, okay, is that even with, you know, journalist or journalist pro, you still put the geeky tools in there, which I love, you know, like, yeah. so I'm used to using the, the, the BBC PPM meters, you know, I love it because that's how I was training broadcasting back in the 80s and 90s, you, you know. Oh, if you get pro, you actually get a proper BBC meter. I know you do, and I'm I'm going to upgrade to pro, you know. But the point yeah, is, just for that, you, but yeah. you do get the you do get the electronic PPM meter at the bottom, which I love, and and it, it's like my go to, you know. I can pretty much set all my levels pretty. Yeah, good but the there. BBC also had the VU meter. I love those. Now, don't yeah. get me down the geeky. Don't, don't go oh, down okay. the geeky hole. Well, you know, you it's like I'm, pro, I'm, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I love it. But the point being is what we're saying is that the way you've developed it's come from a very soulful place of creativity, but equally we're not leaving the geek safe. You want to do your little tweaking and things like that. You can do that within Hindenburg as well. You can go as detailed as you want to. You have to. You, you have to be able to do that. Uh, and it's not because you have to be geeky. That That's not the point. But the geeks have a point. There is some sense to what the geeks are on about when they say, well, you have to have a, 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 to be able to tidy up your sound. You have to be able to edit in a way where you don't have any clicks. You have to be able to set a proper EQ, all these things. Uh, oh, we haven't talked about the voice profiler, by the way. No, that's pretty unique, isn't it? That's something a lot of doors don't have. I don't think anyone has. Uh, no. Maybe Adobe was inspired to do something similar. How did that come about, the voice profile? Explain to the listeners first what it means. Well, actually, it came out of a, another conversation where uh, Pabe and I were, were just talking randomly. So I can highly recommend you just talk randomly to very clever people and things will turn out. So what we were talking about is actually, because what, okay, so I have to start somewhere else. The voice profiler is basically an, an automated EQ. But instead of having some presets in your EQ, which doesn't work because your voice changes from day to day and from microphone to microphone. So having a preset can only get you so far. So ideally, what you have, if you're going into a studio, you have a sound engineer who knows your voice and he can actually, or she, can set the EQ so it just fits you. Now that's what you want. Really, at the end of the day, you want a sound engineer and what I try to keep saying to people is, well, that is what Hindenburg is. It's like having a friendly sound engineer next to you where you don't have to give him coffee. Or her. Anyway. So, or cigarettes. Or cigarettes and just exactly. <laughs> tell him he's really nice when he's actually a prat. Exactly. Uh, no, so so what the voice profiler is, what the, the issue was, well, I knew, I, I knew that people were struggling with trying to figure out how to use an EQ. But an EQ is an equaliser, and typically everyone would know an equaliser, like from a three-band equaliser that you have on your stereo with bass, mid-tone, and, and high-end. Uh, an EQ is the same thing. You're just adjusting the tone of your voice. And using one of those isn't necessarily difficult. It really isn't. You know, you, you, you can play around with it. You can't mess it up too badly. The problem with these things are, and this is the point that most people are missing, is that you might 
make something sound really great in your headphones as you're working, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it sounds good anywhere else. Correct. It just means that it sounds good in your headphones. And the reason why that we build music studios and radio studios and what have you isn't because we're looking to soundproof it. That's not really the point of a studio. The point is to regulate the sound in such a way that if you create something that sounds good in a music studio, music studios sound dull. You're thinking of a music studio, so, wow, it's going to sound absolutely fantastic when I get into the studio. No, they sound dull purposely. They need to sound average in a way. So if it sounds good there, it's going to sound good in the living room. And the reason why that you have multiple sets of speakers, you've got these huge speakers and medium-sized speakers and small speakers, that's because you have to test out your mix on different speakers to say, can you still hear what's going on? So the challenge for any amateur coming into this business is, is, is not finding a good microphone. It's not figuring out how to fiddle around with an EQ. The big challenge is that you're dealing with people who can build a million-dollar studios when they know that what they're mixing there is going to sound good in your kitchen, in your bathroom, in your car, in your headphones. It's going to sound good everywhere. Yeah. And you, when you're sitting at home, doing your mix with your ear-pluggy bud headphone things, you might be creating something that sounds horrendous. You don't know. Yes, you don't, you don't know. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. You have no idea. You really have no idea. So I knew that was a problem, being a sound engineer. I didn't have a solution for it. So uh, going back to this, uh, one, are you looking at the time? No, not at all. My good lady came through the door there, and I was trying. Not, I was trying to ignore her, but I couldn't. <laughs> wave, give her. A I kiss. did. I did. I did the little wave under the thing. You see, so oh, you know, I thought you. I thought you'd miss it. I thought I was professional enough to, <laughs> to avoid it. Anyway, so where do we get to? I got distracted. So no. So anyway, Peyton was uh, uh, and I were sitting talking, and he was talking about a feature because this is actually not a new idea. But the feature was that he was uh, ranting about this really daft plugin effects processor thing where you could mimic the sound of a song so if you were doing a mix of your own song then you could basically take the eq of a i don't know a chicago song and you could kind of apply that sound to your own song nice well as you rightly pointed out that is rubbish it's not the way it works but you kind of get the same yeah, how much or less bass they put on it, whatever. But, but, but is, it, is it to do with an ambience, though? That's what we're trying to get at, the kind of feel, like no, an organic feel, isn't no, it? but th- that was the thing, and that was what he was talking about. The only thing you can get, really, is you can create an FFT of what their sound is, how much bass and how much treble and how much blah there's on it, and then you can basically replicate that on your own song so you have the same amount of bass and treble and what have you in the sound, not the feel of it. Okay. So that's all it did. And he was like, ah, oh, what a stupid idea. And I went really, really quiet. And I said, I think we can use that for something. Let me think. So I had a long think about this. And I said, how about if we could do something similar, not the same, because we don't want to steal ideas, how about if we could take someone's ideal voice, something that's been produced in the studio, so we know, 100% sure, 
It's been produced in the studio, so we know it sounds the way that we want it to sound everywhere. So we're going back to the studio quality. Can we copy that somehow and then apply it to whatever you're doing at the moment at home? And then Payton went quiet and said, ah, that's a pretty good idea. <laughs> and off we went. So we created the voice profile. And the whole point of it is that if you have something where your voice, you know it sounds good. And if you don't have one, by all means, go down to the local radio station, bring a couple of beers with you and some cake and say, can you please record me for 30 seconds and just make me sound great? Because, you know, you've got all the equipment. And then you just take that sound, you learn from that, and then you just you can apply that to everything that you do uh, looking forward. And that's how the voice profiler works. And the whole point of it was to to alleviate the issue that people were having actually working with EQs and not having a decent studio. Yeah, you know, you've really brought it to the masses, haven't you? You know, because to put a studio together is tens of thousands of dollars or pounds or oh, yeah, whatever, yeah. kroner or euros or whatever you guys use over there. But actually what has been very inspiring is how people have set themselves up literally with a microphone and something to record on, and they end up getting in the cupboard, you know, the, in the in the, the wardrobe, you know, just so they get that sound. Oh, in. that's the best solution. We always recommend. Absolutely. It. Okay. Um, I, I know time's rolling on, and gosh, I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours. A couple of the quick features of uh, Edinburgh that you think might appeal to people, or maybe starting off, if we've got any of our older users out there, they remember we had something called a call recorder, where we'd done this integration with Skype. So you could just actually, from within Hindenburg, you could dial up any of your favorites and just start recording them. That works so well until Skype God bless them. killed the API for that. <laughs> and we were like, oh, now what? And we've been through different iterations of that where the technology has really not been working in our advantage. It's just been getting worse. What does it mean when the API doesn't work anymore and why can't we fix it? Because I'm sure that's a lot of our listeners who are long-term Hindenburg users would be saying, well, what's wrong with that? You're bloody developers for crying out loud. Sort it out. Exactly. Well, an API is is is, is really a protocol for talking with a different uh, piece of software. Right. So if if we wanted to talk to Skype, then Skype would say, well, our API is, and this is basically a, a set of rules saying this is how we can communicate and this is how what we can do. And they killed that. So we were not able to longer communicate with Skype the way that we could. And I suspect this was because Microsoft, I think, bought Skype out a couple of three years ago. Yeah. And it kind of changed the dynamics a little bit, I imagine. They yeah. kind of did. Okay. So what's the solution? If you're a Windows user, we could use um, the communication device that was in Windows. We could use that. But on Mac, and we're cross-platform, so on Mac we had to find a solution for that as well. And we then added Soundflower, which is a small plugin where you can route sound from one program to another. We just had to switch that because Soundflower doesn't work anymore in the latest version of Mac. So we created our own now. Good. So actually now we have a Hindenburg device, which is really cool. So if you open up Hindenburg, actually, if you're on a Mac you will see up in your sound applications, your outputs, you will actually see Hindenburg. And what that actually means is that any device that you can set to 
output to Hindenburg. Then you can just, in Hindenburg, say, record from other devices, and Bob's your uncle. So if you wanted to record this uh, this conversation, then you just set Zoom up to output Hindenburg, input in Hindenburg, and you're recording. So Great. it's really, really easy to record uh, interviews. And obviously that was very, very important for the kind of work that our users are doing, obviously. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing. And uh, if we're talking about podcasts, we also added the publish tool because we found that people were struggling figuring out how they especially in the early days, and if you're new to podcasting, how do you actually upload anything to a host? And there were not that many just a few years ago. Now there are hosts all over the place. So we made a publish tool, one-click publish, where the point was that you just set up your publish target. And once you're f- done with the show, you just just say publish, really. And then it just the thing just goes up to your publish target. And then we actually thought, well, actually, many of our users are doing multiple things. They could have a radio show and a podcast and what have you. We we don't know how many things they could have going. And the same show could be going out to multiple platforms. So in the publish tool, you can actually just uh, set up multiple outputs. And if you're, for instance, if you're doing a, a podcast, you will export that at minus 16 LUFS, which is the loudness thing we were talking about before. Mm-hmm. So you can set that up. But if you're doing a radio uh, program, you might want to FTP up to your radio station. Uh, but then you wouldn't use minus 16 because that would just kill the transmitters. Then you you want to use minus uh, 24 if you're in the States LUFS. So you could do that as well. But the brilliant thing about the publish tool is you can individually set these uh, publish targets up. But when it comes to exporting, once it's set up, you just say, okay, I want it to go to these three different uh, um, targets. Just say publish. And then we'll create the different files at the different levels. And and it can be a WAV file for one and MP3 for the other. And it will just upload them. So really, we've tried to take away all the tedious tasks that people have been doing. So why spend an entire Friday afternoon uploading if you can just press a button and have a cup of coffee? It's that kind of thing. And it's the same thing with auto level, uh, really. Uh, we mentioned auto level before. Any time you drag any audio into the system, it will automatically set the levels. And it's also based on loudness. And the great thing about loudness, if you remember from about two hours ago in this conversation, um, <laughs> what loudness does is it sets everything so it's perceived as equally loud. Now, that n- might not sound very sexy, really. And if you're thinking of television and you go, oh, yeah, I can, I get the idea so that the movie is as equally loud as the commercials, I get that. But if you're thinking about, if you're about to do a, a, a mix of audio, then that is exactly what you want. You want everything to be equally loud, not at least if they're playing on level. So if you go from an interview to some uh, as a voice track and back to an interview, you want them to be perceived at least equally loud. So loudness is the obvious tool to use for that. So anytime you add any audio into our system, then it will be loudness normalized. Got you. And we also go one step further. So actually exactly the same with music and narration, then actually the music would still seem overpowering compared to to the voice track. So we actually 
uh, have it so the music is slightly lower than the narration. Not in the sense that you can just put them on top of one another and you don't have to duck or anything, but just so if you played them side by side, so first you're playing narration, then you're playing the music, they would seem equally loud, but they're actually not. There's an element of psychology to it where it just we have to have the, the narration slightly louder for it to to seem as loud as the music. So all these kind of engineering tricks, we've just added that in. And you, if you're a user, you would never think about it. You just throw stuff at it and it seems, ah, oh, easy peasy. Um, it transformed my life. I mean, I was using a different piece of software, which was free on the Mac, and it was fine. It was adequate. It did what I needed to do. But I was spending days, I mean, literally days of my life each week doing my podcast. Yeah. And I have to say, without a shadow of a doubt, it gave me my life back, at least two days of my life back a week, you know, which is amazing. <laughs> Still I mean, something. Well, it's something, but you know, I mean, if that is not an advert for for Hindenburg, I don't know what is. But the point being is, and you haven't even got the pro version yet, mate. No, I know, and well, I know you keep reminding me of that. Well, I got my forty. I can save you another day there. Oh, you could, but you got. You, I've got my forty percent off. There was a course last week on uh, audiobook oh, right. narration, okay. so okay. we're okay. We're sorted there anyway. But but the point I was going to make was that it's um it's it's a, it's a voyage of discovery. You can get on and do things very quickly within an hour, within half an hour of getting the system up and running, and like you sense across all platforms which i thought was a great thing you know you don't doesn't matter whether you're on pc macbook or whatever it is timbuktu on a little you know i don't know if you can do it on an ipad or not you probably can but the point being is you can you can get on and do it no okay you're shaking your head but the point is wherever you have access to a computer access to the internet to download the program once it's downloaded you you're independent you don't need yeah. the internet to run it. And that's yeah. what I love about it. Okay, time's rolling on and we could talk for another two hours, but we don't have that amount of time and I don't have that amount of patience to edit <laughs> the program. But the point is... You're going to edit that, this down to 30 minutes, right? No blame, mate. I tell you, <laughs> this is going to be a t- this is going to be two episodes. You're my only second two episodes. So there we are. Wow, brilliant. How, how can we get a hold of Hindenburg? That's the first thing. So let's let's people know how we can get a hold of the program well it's pretty straightforward you go to the website and you download a trial as you were mentioning we have a 30-day trial and the website is uh, hindenburg.com perfect hindenburg the big burning blowing up airship thing remember that just put .com at the end of it and then there you go there we are so that's straightforward the 30-day trial i think was a great coup d'etat for you guys you were extremely generous in doing that but i think really that's how you build up the community. And, and I think that is working, if I'm right. You know, people love it. We have a very happy, loyal community. We, we must say we're very chuffed about that. And we do go to very long lengths to uh, satisfy our, our, our customers. Yeah, We're not just saying that in the sense that our customers are really precious to us. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's more because when we started out, we actually were on a first name bases with most of our customers perfect and it's kind of built from there i, I remember some of the, the the feedback that we got is i always just signed myself as uh, just as nick and i never thought about that but if people just found that really really friendly we get to know one another and we've had customers now for 10 years that we we had a sale at, at one time we sold it for two dollars which was to be honest, it seemed just like a, a good idea because it was World Radio Day and we're sitting around thinking, well, Denmark's not on the World Radio Day map and we should do something. And me and Chris and Chuck were talking and said, well, 
how about we just sell it for two dollars? Isn't that kind of what minimal wages for for someone uh, is a day? Two dollars a day. I love it. So there's something symbolic about that. And we did that, and we were absolutely overrun uh, by uh, users. It seriously went viral within minutes. Anyway, that was fun. So we've had users who paid $2, and this must be at least six or seven years ago. And that's all they've ever paid. Happy, loyal customers who... (laughs) Of course they are. We still get support and what have you because the customer's a happy customer. Um, But the point being is, and I think this is the thing with uh, podcasts as well as radio, you really have to have other people who kind of promote you. You know, in other words, I've had a great experience with Hindenburg, Next Great, the guys there at Hindenburg, and they become your voice. So in other words, you could never really buy that that type of advertising, it would cost no. you millions, you know? No. So, but I love the fact that you were bold enough and, and uh, yeah, confident enough to say, well, I'll sell it for $2 or two euros or whatever it is in your local money. I love that, <laughs> you know, because that's really given back. In retrospect. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, but here's the thing. And I know you did allude to it earlier is you've, you've kind of never made great business decisions sometimes. You know, you've made those ones where you're around, you know, having a drink in the pub and, hey, that's a great idea. A couple of rounds in and we'll do that tomorrow. And then suddenly you think, oh, I created a bit of a monster here. But it was great fun and it created a little bit of a vibe, didn't it? It created that viral vibe that you you, you enjoy. I mean, pe- it, people enjoy it's, that. It's very true. And uh, as I have mentioned before, and I will mention it again, I must be the, the worst possible businessman in the entire world. I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. That said, it seems like by pure coincidence that we've stumbled upon a lot of things that were the right things to do. And it really came more out of a gut feeling than anything else. For instance, you know, over the past 10, 15 years, everyone's on about corporate responsibility. We never thought two seconds about corporate responsibility. And then I know this really clever PR guy. He said, well, when he's teaching advertisement and PR, he always mentions our company. And I was like, why? (laughs) Why, God's name, would you want to do that? It's because that you have taken corporate responsibility and built a business out of it. So how did we do that? Seriously, I had no idea what he was on about. And but but it was kind of the thing. It just came from we actually want to solve a problem in in the world, and let's try to do that. So there you have it. That's corporate responsibility. Just going to say how little I know about business. Someone had to point out to me that this was something that businesses did. So oh right, okay, fair enough. And in in many ways, many of the small things that we we have done. We've done it because it felt like the right thing to do, not necessarily because it was a a great business uh, opportunity or plan, because God knows we're really bad at that. But we get along. (laughs) Yeah, well, you get along. And and what's lovely about it is that I always believe great businesses and and, and great communities, let's, you know, don't leave radio out of this. You know, when I was doing hospital and community radio way back in the 80s, I didn't know what I was getting into, but it suddenly became my social life. I had my girlfriends through that. We went to the pub together. We even even did a thing called Game Fair Hospital Radio for the UK. We went to the middle of a field in Warwickshire, set up three double-decker buses, studio. You know, (laughs) then there was the eating place. 
place and there was a sleeping place. We spent three or four days as a group of people who got to know each other and loved what we... It must have been so much fun. Oh, it was great because you go and do your Vox Pops, you go and see the lady mm. that was making... My best one was the lady that was making silk underwear, silk teddies. Ooh. And it was wonderful. And I had to interview her and say, well, how do you go about this process? And it was <laughs> it was enthralling, I can say the least. But, but the point being was you came back with the old Euro tape recorder and you had to get in and, and edit it and get it ready for broadcast. And then I remember sitting there, you know, in the seat and it was seven o'clock in the morning and I had to start Game Fair Hospital Radio for Devices Hospital Radio. And I was crap in my pants. But I mm. never had that feeling again with anything else I ever did. You know, I, it was always that feeling of mics and you're literally on. Somebody just grabbed the paperwork and the records going on the deck and you're talking and you put the arm across. You know what that feels like. It's, it's an oh, amazing definitely. feeling. You don't get that kick out of... Well, it's difficult to get that kick again out of something that's not live. But I must say, I must say, you know, if I have, because I don't often get to actually play around with our own software, not in the sense that I actually get to edit uh, mm-hmm. uh, shows or anything like that. But now and again, I uh, I do. Yeah. And then I go completely overboard and just throw everything at it when it comes to music and sound effects and ambience. And then I'm kind of back in that zone again. Love it. It's so intuitive. I don't want to blow my own horn here, but as soon as you've, I haven't mentioned the clipboard, we've got a clipboard where you can just stack all your audio and what have you. And if you just do that, just throw anything in there, say, okay, what would be fun to do? And then start playing around with it. Don't take it too seriously. And, you know, the audio business has never taken itself seriously. There's no point you should do it. So just start throwing things around and having a laugh with it. And never forget to put an explosion in there. <laughs> but but you hit the nail on the head, right? Having a laugh with it. And here's the intriguing thing. And I know we're way off topic here and finishing the, the programme. But I actually did a live broadcast from a lake in in Alberta on Sunday yeah. for about 10 minutes, my colleagues at White Horse Radio in the UK, and we we're using the Myriad system. We went live and I came off of that as high as a kite. Yeah. And I said to my good lady, that's what radio is all about. It is. Getting in and patching in and saying, hi guys, I'm here from the middle of Canada, right by a beautiful lake in Alberta. How is it in the UK at the moment? <laughs> you know, and it's live. And that to me, I was just on top of the world. I just really, really enjoyed it. You know, it was wonderful. You can't, it's, it's better than drugs. It is. <laughs> it is. It's a natural high. It really is. It totally is. Well, listen, I, I again, I, I could talk to you for hours and I, I know that you, you've got, it's getting a bit dark there. I it's getting a bit dark. Yeah. I could see that now on the screen. It just suddenly just went dark. Yeah. I was going to say you're different. And my lady now. friend is actually calling me and saying, where the hell are you? I know. Well, listen, let's, let's be responsible adults for a change. I know that's oh, very right. difficult sometimes. But anyway, so we've, we talked about how you can get a hold of Hindenburg. There, there's great price plans, very briefly, isn't there? Because you do it in a really kind of old-fashioned way, which we love. You can actually purchase the software outright, can't you? Or you can start to rent it. Is that right? Soon, hopefully, within uh, a month or so, uh, you'll be able to do as everyone else, subscribe to it. Mm-hmm. But we're not going to go away from the fact that you can actually just Buy it outright and it's yours and you can do with it whatever you like. Lovely. A lot of users are really happy with being able to do that. And it doesn't require that you're online. Uh, so you can work anywhere, really, if you, especially if you're traveling, if you're on a plane or something like that, you can just continue working, which is an advantage. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and as you mentioned before, it's, it's cross-platform. So, you know, if you're a Mac person, it's nice to know it's on a Mac and if you're Windows. But you can also collaborate with people on different platforms. And even with yourself, we've had many, especially journalists who were working on Mac at home, but were working on Windows when they got to the radio station. So they could just send sessions to themselves back and forth and with no problem whatsoever. And it's fantastic. I have to say, reliability-wise, I've been blown away by it for sure. Okay, so a couple of quick things before we go. Uh, You're very approachable. I know Martin was and your colleagues have been excellent. So again, if anybody wants to get hold of you, have a quick chat or get hold of the the, the guys at uh, Hindenburg, what's the best way of of dropping you guys a line? Well, if it's regarding the, uh, the, the software, if there's questions about that, just write to support. Um, but if you want to buy, you know, a thousand copies for your, well, <laughs> I don't know, right to sales instead, they they will know what to do with that kind of request. Okay, and you've got a great Facebook page as well. I think there's a great Facebook community behind yeah, that. Yeah, so do you we know, do. do you, yeah, I keep yeah, forgetting that. I don't, I don't yeah. use social media myself, and let's let's not get into that. Oh uh, gosh, that's another podcast. I think, oh, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. <laughs> I'm either too old or I'm a first mover. I can't quite figure it out yet. A first mover. I like it. I love it. Mm. Now, here's the final questions. If you had your time again and say you're 18, what would you tell yourself? What would Nick now tell his 18-year-old self? God, you're going to be all right. There you go. Love it. Nick. It's, as ever, it's been a sheer pleasure. I mean, I've had double doses of this this week and last week, and I have to say <laughs> it's been incredible talking to you. And I never even thought in a million years, you know, that we would get together, but we did. And uh, No, it's brilliant. Uh, yeah, happy we did it. I am as well. And uh, we must have that virtual beer one day. You know, I'll get my gin and tonic, you get your Definitely. beer. Definitely. Let's, let's do that. Well, if you're ever in Scandinavia, well, preferably Copenhagen, to be honest, yeah, let us know. I will absolutely, and and the same goes for here in Canada. And take a good uh, lady with you. I no, go, don't worry about it. We get to Germany very often in the UK, but we can sort of deviate slightly left as we're going to Germany. <laughs> If you haven't taken it to Copenhagen, you should do. It's beautiful in summer. Well, absolutely. I want to see the lady on the shore, you know, the semi-clad uh, lady. Apparently she's very famous. Well, that's a waste of time. But, you know, if that's what's going to get you here. <laughs> well, the same goes for Canada. If you want to see the Rockies, man, come on over. Well, I look forward to it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, listen, thanks again for your time. And, uh, yeah, I've taken a lot of your time, but I've really, really appreciated it. Thanks so much. No, it's, it's, been, a, it's been fun. Okay. Take care. You too. Cheers. Cheers. You've been listening to On Another Track with me, David Wilson. My guest this week has been Nick Dunkley of Hindenburg Systems, helping to elevate your audio to new heights. Remember, there are more conversations coming up in this series. Just look out for On Another Track on your podcast platform and subscribe. This has been a BritCam production for Urban Aspect Incorporated. Keeping us safe on the roads of North America.